Welcome back to the Voices of Veritas podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. In today's podcast and in upcoming episodes, we will be exploring different classes and subjects taught at Veritas, especially noting the classical Christian difference. Today, we have the opportunity to hear from Veritas headmaster, Dr. Woods, and Mr. Phillips, our rhetoric school principal and civics teacher. So a lot of schools, public schools, private schools, uh, it's very common to teach civics in ninth or 10th grade. And um, when I started teaching, that's how I taught it. When I took civics, that's how I did it. And when I came to Veritas 13 years ago, um, I was surprised, but I was very impressed that we teach civics in 12th grade. Mm. Um, that uh, students are getting ready to graduate. Many of them are already able to vote. And they are getting ready to um, be participants or hopefully not non-participants in our government. And um, this is just as much a part of their vocation as what God has called them to do for uh, their profession. And so we want them to be um, informed. Uh, um, We want them to know... Uh, how government works. Um, we want them to understand uh, why it was set up the way it was, why the Constitution looks the way it does, why our branches of government exist the way they do, why federalism, the sharing of power between the states and the national government, is set up the way it is. Um, we read the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers. Um, we want students to um, to be informed and to know what their role is as um, as citizens in our republic, as um, having this job that they've been called to in the same way that they will be trained to be a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer or um, an engineer. Mm. And so, um, and, and, and um, you know, I don't want to speak too much on training because, right. you know, we right. don't want to seem vocational, but at the same time... Um, you do need to be able to understand what, uh, how the, uh, how government is established and why it's established and what your role is in it is, in order to be an effective, well reasoned uh, participant in it. You know, my goals as a teacher, my goal as uh, when I was department chair here and as principal is, yeah, we absolutely don't want. Um, our faculty propagandizing. Um, that's never our intention. Um, I mean, there are certain things that are non-negotiable. Um, you know, we believe that human beings are created in God's image. We believe that we all have dignity. Um, as Americans, you know, we believe in uh, representative democracy or republicanism. Um, those things aren't negotiable. Right, right, right. You know, and so, um, you know, we're not going to, uh, necessarily entertain some, you know, sort of fringe viewpoint. Um, but at the same time, we want to be, um, we want to give the opportunity for students to engage in um, very healthy, compassionate, charitable dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I mean, our primary purpose of the civics of the civics class is the capstone class for. Um, the civics class specifically, the government class specifically, is the capstone class for the history department. And um, when I came to Veritas, I was uh, really impressed that we did it 
as seniors um, because it's often offer, uh, offered to freshmen. Oh, and that's sophomores. true. Yeah, earlier. And um, as seniors, they're getting ready to embark mm. on this duty as citizens of our republic, and you know that is a job for them in the same way that their uh, professional vocation will be. And, and and I think that just as we talk about being in partnership with parents regarding the development of Christian character, we also are in partnership with parents in helping them and working with them and being here to do all that we can to help their children become the kinds of citizens that recognize their dual citizenship, their citizenship in the kingdom of God and their citizenship in this country, or some of them may eventually live in another country and what it means to be a citizen in that country. And I do think that, and I hadn't thought about it till you were just talking, Mr. Phillips, the idea of we're, we're already doing that. It's not as though they're not getting an experience about what it means to be a part of a community, a, a small city, if you would. And I think they're learning that in a number of ways. Well, what might be some ways that you would say we're not just giving lectures or having seminars on these topics, but actually they experience this kind of civics and civility here at our school? Yeah, um, I, I like how you said we're sort of a miniature city. Uh, you know, in a, in a way we are. We have this uh, this small school community and then we have, I mean, we have these these small classes where these students get to know each other um, very closely and oftentimes for many years. And um, hopefully they learn to be civil to one another. They learn to be charitable to one another. They learn to feel that they can express their opinion um, and that their neighbor can too. And they can be um, kind and civil mm. and charitable in that discourse. Um, we see this uh, hopefully in... Um, informal conversations in the halls at lunch um but also you know in the classroom like you said with the seminars um and it's not just civics class this is done in rhetoric class right. this is done in philosophy this is um these issues are explored throughout and um this is uh you know why we for example have pig fest uh once a year on uh, the end of first quarter when students have an opportunity to um just engage in discussion and um, and it is, it's not debate, it's discussion. Um, it's just simply trying to dig for some nuggets of truth right. in a way of being, uh, being charitable and kind and feeling free to take devil's advocate. Um, yeah. So. And doing, uh, and doing so in a manner, uh, characterized by graciousness and civility. And, and we want, I would want all of our parents to know that the children are seeing this modeled they're being encouraged to be the kind of citizen within our little school city, our little school community, that they're being encouraged to be the kind of citizen that those virtues will translate later in life. When, when I think about the things that make our civics course, our government course, distinct uh, as a classical Christian school, I'm reminded of the things that our roots, for example, run deep into ancient Greece. And we recognize that, that the, the, the idea of citizenship 
from what I understand, was born among the Greeks. Now, did they practice a robust democracy? No, they did not. But the idea was there. The beginning of constitutional government rests with the city-states of Greece. And the Greeks were conscious of this. They were proud of it. And our roots as a classical Christian school, in terms of both our education and our practice, uh, run into that Greek world, into that Roman world, into that biblical world. That's where our roots run. Um, I'm reminded of Augustine, City of God, where he is the one who established the notion of dual citizenship and recognizing there's the city of man and the city of God and what it means for God's people to dwell among the city of God or within the city of God and within the city of man. Um, could you would, could you explore, if you would, just for a moment, um, some other ways that you say that as a classical Christian school, there would be a, a unique distinction as a Christian Christ-centered school, a classical school that also has its roots in scripture and in the classical world? Um, yeah, so as you were mention, uh, mentioning with Augustine, um, the idea of dual citizenship, we find this not only in Augustine, this idea that um, that Christians have to be residents of the city of man. We have to live in it, mm -hmm. um, but we are ultimately citizens. Our passport is with go. the city of God. And um, this idea of, of, of this sort of citizenship has been um, integral and um, steeped uh, throughout the earliest days of the church. It's found throughout the New Testament in the writings of the apostles. Um, there's a great ancient text. Um, it's a short little text. It's a quick read if you ever want to read it. Um, it's called The Letter to Diognetus, and it dates back to the reign of Hadrian. Mm -hmm. um, and so it goes back to the early 2nd century. And we don't know who the author is, but he's describing the, this brand new sect of Christians to a friend. And he says that these Christians, that they, they don't live in cities of their own like, like some groups do in the mm -hmm. Roman Empire, um, but they live among everyone else. And so you wouldn't be able to tell a Christian from their dress or from their right. from what they're eating or not eating or um, the city in which they live or the language in which they speak, um, that they follow the customs and the laws of the country. And there's a great quote from it. They have a share in everything as citizens, but only as foreigners. Every foreign land is their fatherland. And yet for them, every fatherland is a foreign land. That's beautiful. And I think that's important for us to remember as Christians. Um, that we've been given this incredible opportunity as uh, citizens in a republic that we can take part in this, that we don't have to just obey the authorities, mm -hmm. that we can take part in this. And um, so that opens up a whole brand new set of, of opportunities and responsibilities um, that even though we are you know, citizens in this republic, it's important to remember where, you know, um, that's just a stamp on our right, heavenly right. passport, hopefully. No, that's beautiful. And so, um, well, and, and I'm, I'm reminded as you're speaking of that as we read Luke and Acts, it is pretty clear in Luke and Acts that Christians are called to obey civil authorities. Uh, we also know from Romans 13, and we also have that passage in Peter and Timothy. I mean, there's a range of scriptures that reference what our obligations are to political authorities. 
And generally, and this is the thing I remember being struck by years ago, was that Christians, as characterized by Luke and Acts, are exemplary citizens in a very hostile Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. But they were exemplary citizens. And I, as I think as you were referencing the earlier uh, writing, that to me is clearly demonstrated already in the New Testament, in Luke, Acts, and then in other portions of Scripture. Um, so where else might we, or what else might we say as far as what it means to be, uh, to have this kind of dual citizenship? I remember growing up being told, we never talk about, you don't talk about religion or politics, mm-hmm. because that's, that what get, that's what yeah. gets people angry faster than anything else. And yet, as a classical Christian school, we do. We are mm-hmm. constantly talking about religion and politics. Yeah, Um and I grew up with that phrase too. My mom, um, definitely, I always remember her mentioning that. Right. And, um, and it's not always bad words to live by. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's if your next if it's your next door neighbor, um, and you're trying to avoid, you know, you're trying to maintain peace and harmony. Right. You know, maybe getting right. into a political um, <laughs> wrangling isn't isn't a good way to go with that, but. Um, hopefully at Veritas, we're not strangers with each other Mm-mm. and our faculty aren't strangers with each other. Um, we can, and our students, uh, aren't strangers among themselves and hopefully they can see, um, that they can have reasonable civil discussions and at the end of the day, still love one another yes. and still respect one another as members of the body of Christ. Um, that's my prayer, and that's my goal. Um, I hope that we do that. Yes. Um, I, you know, are we perfect at it? Well, we're never really perfect at anything. But um, and and I would throw in there one other thing. I think that helps us on this is when it comes to the content of a civics course or a government course. It it is not the headlines. That's not the content of what we are debating and discussing and examining. We, as a classical Christian school, are rooted in the primary documents and primary resources. And you mentioned what our students read. Um, I remember when I was teaching last semester or last year when I taught the civics course and taught the the seniors, I remember uh, we used a particular reader entitled, entitled What So Proudly We Hail, primary sources from literature, philosophy, history, uh, hymnals, um, poems. And we were looking at these primary documents that reflect certain ideas uh, characterized within civic humanism or within republicanism. We were reading Aristotle's politics or parts of it, Polybius's The History, Cicero's On the Republic and On the Laws. When you read these documents, it does help to refocus and to, to shift the attention away from what social media may be doing at the moment back to how they grappled with these issues. So it, it kind of removes a little bit of the potential tension and some of the potential heat. So are, is that your general experience? Yeah, when, absolutely. When you... Yeah, um, that uh, hopefully these roots um, provide timeless answers to transient um political issues. And so um, so hopefully reading these things gives us a foundation and a rootedness to deal with 
the transient, impermanent mm. issues of the day, whatever those may be. We uh, we also spent some time looking at the allegory of good and bad government by the Renaissance painter, uh, painter Ambrio Lorenzetti, who uh, these paintings are located in Siena, and you can get online and look at them. But we spent some time talking about what is good government, what is bad government, according to these paintings. What does it mean to be a good citizen? What does it mean to be a bad citizen, according to these paintings. And then that helped us to kind of reframe who we are. And as you said earlier, Mr. Phillips, as, as we think about training, I, I'm with you. I understand your hesitancy in using a word, but it's a great word, uh, giving a kind of orientation mm -hmm. of where they're going to be heading and the kind of people we desire them to be in the current world that they're called to be yes. in. Yes. So. Um, I remember years ago, in light of what you were saying about some of the scriptures, and we were look, talking about Romans 13 and other passages, I remember one clear point that came across in uh, studying passages that dealt with Christian citizenship. And there's one thing that struck me that is not as common and conversations today, but it ought to be at the forefront because it seems to be at the forefront in the New Testament. And that's this. We have a primary obligation to pray for those who are in authority. And I think it is imperative that as we are trying to raise our students, our children into the full image of Christ, that praying for those who have authority over us, whether it be civil authority or teachers as authority, or parents as proper authority, whatever authority it is, that we pray for those in authority. And, and doing this is very pleasing to God. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we had a discussion in, in my senior civics class just last week um, on Thursday. It was after the events that had happened at the Capitol on mm. Wednesday. Um, and uh, at the end of it, it was, you know, we left with the conclusion that we have to pray for our leaders. Um, whoever they are, we have to pray for them. We, we aren't given a choice in this matter by our Lord uh, that, you know, Paul and Peter both in their epistles command us to pray for our leaders. And if they can pray for Nero, you know, we can pray for, for whoever's in authority over us. Amen. So, Amen. Thank you, Dr. Woods and Mr. Phillips for sharing with us today. Veritas community, be on the lookout for future podcasts. If you have something you'd like to hear discussed, send it to cpritz at veritasnc.org. If you would like to tune in to some of our previously recorded podcasts, visit our communications page at veritasnc.org. We hope you have a wonderful day.